This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The best way to be successful in terms of writing and trying to get published is write something that's personal to you. That means a lot to you, and that translates much better than trying to, like, tie into the latest trend. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I'm your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Kirthana Ramasetti is the author of Dava Shastri's Last Day, a Good Morning America book club pick. A former entertainment reporter, she has had her work published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Atlantic, and more. She lives in New York City. So please welcome Kirtana to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your journey with everyone. We're going to be talking about your publication journey today, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. So when did you first start getting interested in writing, and then how long from then did it take until you got serious about pursuing publication? The best way to answer this is always. I can't remember a time when I wasn't interested in writing. It was something that I feel like came to me like oxygen. It was that important to me. So, But when I first started getting serious about it, I was thinking as a career in publishing a book is when I went to grad school. I attended Emerson College and received my MFA in creative writing. And uh, my thesis project was a novel. And I was very lucky to have an amazing professor who uh, sent the book to her publisher, who then sent the book to her editor. And that editor told me that she liked the book and she would sign sign with me if I could find an agent. And so for the first time, this dream I had for so long felt like a real possibility. But all the agents that she uh, suggested to me passed on my novel. (laughs) So I thought, okay, let me revisit the novel and see if it's any good. And what I ended up figuring out is I just didn't think it was workable at the time. So I shelved it. So I moved on from that project. A couple years later, I wrote a YA novel. I wrote the first draft. And then when it came time to start revising it, then I realized I didn't have passion for it. And I shelved that too. <laughs> so cut to 2018, I thought, you know, I think it's time for me to try to write a book again. I kind of was thinking book or bust. And so that was a time where I really thought I have to see this through and see if I can actually do it if I'm even capable of writing a novel. So that's how that started. Nice. Can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? And I know I didn't include this in the notes, but something new that I'm trying especially looking at like, what did you think that that was going to look like for you? That's a really good question. I don't think there was any specific moment as long as I can remember. I wanted, you know, I loved reading books and I wanted to write one myself one day. But for me, the moment where it became a point where I realized it could be possible for me was in high school English class. We read The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. And for me, this was my first time reading a novel in an English class, which was about an Asian family. And it was a family that resembled my own. And I was like, if this has an audience, then maybe there'll be an audience for something I'd like to write one day. So that crystallized for me that it was a possibility. In terms of what I thought it would be like, I don't think I had an idea. I think all I wanted was to see my book on a bookshelf. And I didn't really think about the realities of like, you know, interviews or book tours or any of the stuff that goes along with 
publishing a book and promoting a book. So once you decided to seriously pursue publication, how did you learn more about the publishing industry, like how it works, how to go about querying, all those different things? I did so much Googling. (laughs) I did a lot of Googling. I did a lot of research on um, best practices when it came to querying agents um, in terms of how important it was to uh, pay attention to their submission guidelines. And each agent has a different submission guideline. And then I also, as part of the package, I didn't realize I think until right before I started querying is that it's not just a query letter and like the first five or 10 pages. Sometimes agents will also request a one page synopsis or a three page synopsis. And so one of the hardest things about that was learning how to take your entire novel and synthesize it into one page or three pages. So I did a lot of reading about that whole thing. And then one thing that I found really helpful online is I found a spreadsheet about how you could organize your queries when it was time to query agents. So you had a timeline of when you sent out your submissions, who said yes, who said no, who requested a full manuscript, et cetera. So I almost wish I knew about these podcasts at the time, like podcasts like yours, because I think I would have been a devoted listener and they're so helpful. (laughs) But at the time, all I had was Google. Google was my friend and it helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? As I mentioned, I started writing my book in 2018. What happened was for the past several years, I'd worked as an entertainment journalist and um, I got burned out. So I went freelance and I thought this is the time to really try and write the book that I've always wanted to write and see if I could do it. Because it had been so long. The first book I wrote, I think, in 2003 and the second book I wrote in 2011. So I've been, (laughs) the way I've been describing this, this is my third time in about 20 years trying to write a book. Mm -hmm. So I was really determined to see it through this time. So it took me about six months to write the draft. The book ended up being very meaningful and personal to me in a way that nothing I had ever written before had been. And so it felt like the kind of thing I couldn't even ask family or friends to read because if they had said they didn't like it, it would have crushed me. (laughs) I don't know if I would have continued. Um, I also thought the book was a little weird (laughs) because it was so personal to me. And like I had done all these things to make it a project that I wanted to work on and that was worthwhile for me. So for example, the book is set 20 years in the future, has a lot of references to music from when I'm growing up. And so it just felt so personal and idiosyncratic to me. I didn't know if it worked as a novel. So what I decided to do is work with a freelance editor named Carrie Fry, and she was phenomenal and gave me such great feedback and let me know that it really was a novel. You know, it wasn't just some vanity project, I guess, but it really worked as a novel. So for a couple, about a year and a half more, I revised it several more times. I had two critique partners and two beta readers and After several revisions, countless revisions, I was done in January of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I started doing all my Googling and researching about how you even reach out to an agent. Because the first time when I had sent my book to to agents, the editor had given me a list of agents. And I just kind of emailed them without really knowing how to query an agent properly. Mm -hmm. So this time I really wanted to do it right and make sure I had all my facts I didn't do any anything wrong or make any mistakes. I wanted to present my best foot forward. So it took me about a month to get ready to start submitting to agents. And then I actually started doing so in mid-February of 2020. And I was really surprised when I got my first offer of representation about a week later. Wow. Because I read that, yeah, I read that you could wait months. It could take months, which is fine. I was prepared for that. So I was really surprised when... It took about a week. And so once you receive an offer representation, then you uh, have to alert all the other agents and let them know. 
So about by March, I had four offers of representation, which is crazy because you spend so long thinking, is anyone going to read this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Will anybody want to read this? And suddenly now you've, you're in a position where you have to choose. And so I was very lucky. All the agents who I talked to were wonderful and amazing, but I chose to go with Andrea Somberg of Harvey Klinger Literary Agency because we just connected right away. And her enthusiasm for the book was just incredible. I remember her emailing me and said she was so excited about it. We talked about the book over the weekend because she just wanted to have a conversation as quickly as possible. And so I loved speaking with her. We connected. She said that but a lot to me. She told me, even if you don't go with me, I enjoyed the book so much. It inspired conversations between me and my husband. Mm. That's how much she enjoyed it. So thank you for submitting it to me. So when you have enthusiasm like that, and she's just an amazing person. So that's, you know, I signed with Andrea. I signed with her on March 10th. Mm-hmm. And then on March 11th was the day that Tom Hanks announced he had COVID and the NBA <laughs> season announced they were canceling their season. And it's just the way the whole, the day the whole world kind of changed when we all realized, holy crap, yeah. COVID is here. We're in a pandemic. And it was just so crazy because for me, I was like, I'm finally at this place where, you know, I'm so close to fulfilling a lifelong dream. And now the world is in chaos and it's all very scary and strange and I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know if we would even move forward from there. Andrea was a rock star, and she's one of the other reasons I signed with her. She was the only agent who said the book was ready to be submitted. It didn't need any further revisions. Mm. I, I felt that way, too. I did really feel like I was ready to go. So she said, because the world is still adjusting to our new reality, editors are working remotely. She said, let's wait about like 10 days before we start submitting. I said, that's fine. So we started submitting on Monday the 23rd. And then at the end of that week, Karen Kostalniak from Grand Central Publishing told my agent that she wanted to have a conversation with me about the book. So we spoke on March 30th. And then two days later, we had an offer, a preempt offer. That was it. And I couldn't believe it (laughs) because I just started submitting this novel fairly recently. And by the start of April, I had a book deal. It It was pretty crazy. Yeah. It's funny because if you, we look at just like your querying journey for this book, it was what a month and a half from when you started querying to when you had a preempt offer from a publisher. But then if you only look at that, yeah, it looks really fast. But then you have to look at the 20 years you spent before that kind of developing your craft and honing who you were as a writer and, you know, everything like that. So even though it seems really fast, there was a lot of time behind that. That's true. I put a lot of time, especially in this third manuscript, I just kind of poured everything into it, wanting it to be in the best possible shape it could be. So the whole querying process was fast, faster than I expected, but it did take a lot of work to get to that point. That's for sure. It is time for the first cue of the show. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Dear Ms. Somberg, Dava Shastri, one of the world's wealthiest women, always lives her life with her legacy in mind. What will the world say about her when she's gone? After she's diagnosed with terminal brain cancer at age 70, she takes drastic measures to find out. Dava summons her four adult children and their families to her private island compound to disclose shocking news. Not just that she has a terminal illness and will end her life very soon, but she admits she let her news of her death break early so she can read her obituaries. (laughs) As a billionaire who dedicated her global foundation to women's empowerment, Dava expects everyone to read the articles lauding her philanthropic work. Instead, her quote-unquote death inadvertently exposes the two secrets she had spent a lifetime guarding from everyone, 
even her beloved late husband. And now the whole world knows, including her children. They aren't completely shocked by the news of her affair with the singer-songwriter. After all, he had titled his Oscar-winning song after her. But the other secret, a child Dava gave up for adoption and befriended 30 years later without revealing that she's her mother, upends everything they thought they knew about their ambitious, slightly remote mother, changing their relationship with her and each other. In The Matriarch, Dava must come to terms with the decisions that irrevocably altered her life and make peace with her family in the limited time she has left. The novel blends Succession's uber-wealthy dysfunctional dynamics with the farewell's bittersweet examination of mortality and familial grief. Complete at 107,000 words, this multi-generational family saga will appeal to Claire Lombardo's The Most Fun We Ever Had and Cynthia Diapri-Sweeney's The Nest. As a former entertainment reporter for Newsday and the New York Daily News, I have written my fair share of stories about the lives and deaths of the rich and famous. I have a master's degree in creative writing from Emerson College and have been published in high-profile publications, including The Wall Street Journal, Entertainment Weekly, and The Atlantic. I read an interview in which you stated you were seeking novels that explore the complexities of families, so I hope my book will be of interest to you. Per your submission guidelines, I have been closing the first five pages in this email. Thank you for your time and consideration. Wow, that's long. That's <laughs> how long that was. All right. Thank you for sharing that. How has your experience been since signing your book contract, especially were there any kind of surprises along the way you weren't expecting? I think I've had a really good experience, especially considering that I had my book deal during the pandemic. I've had a really great experience with my publishing team. They've been really supportive. I think the major surprise is just publishing. I think in general is a lot of hurry up and wait. (laughs) In the sense that you'll go like months without hearing from anybody and you'll think, oh, maybe they forgot. <laughs> maybe this book isn't happening. And then suddenly there'll just be a flurry of emails and a flurry of activity and everything like requires your immediate attention. That is something I learned and grasped pretty quickly. Um, the other major surprise for me was just something that was interesting to my and unique to my experience publishing this book. As I referenced in my query letter, there is a song that plays a pivotal role in this novel. And so when I was first drafting this novel, I was teaching myself the ukulele. Mm. And as I wrote the lyrics to the song, actually came up for a melody <laughs> for the song. And so I took an iPhone video of myself playing the song on the ukulele just so I could have like a record of it because I'm not a songwriter at all, but I just wanted to have a record of it. And then last year, the audiobook team approached me and said they wanted to turn the song into an original song for the audiobook. And if I did I have any ideas for it, and I said, well, actually, I have this video of me playing the ukulele. I have this melody that I think would go really well with the song. And amazingly, they actually took that melody and they turned it into a real song. <laughs> and so I not only did I get to write a book, which is amazing enough for me, but I'm a, such a big music fan. So just to have, I have a hand in writing a song in any way is pretty amazing too. So that's been one of the most surprising, special things of this whole experience. Nice. So you're a songwriter now too. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? So for the first two books I wrote, which I shelved, I was a pantser, which might be why they didn't work. (laughs) So this third book, I decided I wanted to make sure that I saw a draft through completion. And it was also a very complicated, multi-generational story. So this book turned me into a plotter. And the the book I'm working on now, I'm also became a plotter. So yeah, plotter. (laughs) Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? 
overrider for sure. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? You know, I can write at any time of day. I don't really have a preference. It's just more about having the motivation to actually do it. So yeah, anytime I can do that. When you start a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? I start with the concepts. And I, for me, it's important to start with concept because a lot of what I learn about the character is born out of the premise that I come up with. Do you prefer coffee or tea? I can do both. I think when I'm out, if I'm running in a coffee shop, I'll always get coffee. And if I'm at home, I tend to have tea. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Again, I, I can also do both, but I definitely prefer sound. Is there a particular sound or just sound in general? I can do music or sometimes I'll have the TV in the background. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? For this novel, for Dava, it was definitely get it right because I had the time. And the book I'm working on now, it's just get it down. (laughs) Is it under deadline? Yes, it's under contract. (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? Just Google Docs and um, some Post-it notes. I feel like I should upgrade my... (laughs) my software or my tools, but that's what's worked so far. I recently actually switched to back to Google Docs from Scrivener. So, <laughs> Oh, what did you think of Scrivener? I've read so much about it, but it just seems complicated. I like parts of it. I'm on a PC, so it's like less functional. Like Macs tend to have more functionality. But the main thing for me was the backup and writing across multiple devices either doesn't work or isn't as useful on a, on a PC as it is for a Mac. So I was really wanting to write just the way my life has changed. I wanting to write across multiple devices. So that's why I went to, back to Google Docs. And then I figured out how to do some of the things that I really liked in Scrivener in Google Docs. Hmm. So now I have a, you know, a table of contents so I can easily navigate between chapters, which was one of the things that I liked the most. And I also have linked documents for my character profile, so I can click on those with just one click, like I can in Scrivener. So basically, I've just hacked Google Docs to be like Scrivener. (laughs) That's amazing. You've given me some great ideas. I love the table of contents idea. Oh my gosh, I'm going to take that. That's great. Yeah. The only thing I haven't been able to figure out how to do is the... So Scrivener tells you like how many words you wrote in a session. And so I I have to do that manually. (laughs) (laughs) Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising, definitely. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. But I've had to learn how to be an extrovert through this whole process. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. And we're going to talk about that second cue. Now, what were some of the worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them? Or how did they shake out? Uh, sure. So as I mentioned before, one of my, my qualms about my novel was if it was just too specific to me and my interest and would anybody care. And so it was really heartening to know that despite writing it for myself, I kind of consider this novel me in book form, but there just seemed to be a lot of universal things about it that seemed universally appealing to people, which I was a relief, but also taught me that when it, the best way to be successful in terms of writing and trying to get published is write something that's personal to you. Mm-hmm. That means a lot to you. And that translates much better than trying to like, tie into the latest trend. The other thing I was worried about is self-promotion, especially through social media, because I've never been good at that. I have a Twitter account from for several, past several years because for my time as a journalist, and I I did enjoy Twitter then. I, I can do it, but I don't feel I've ever have, never had a comfort level, especially when it comes to like sharing my own work. So I wasn't looking forward to that. But what I found is I joined Instagram last year. 
as part of you know my novel coming out. And that's the place where I feel like I have a lot of comfort, actually enjoy it a lot. There's a really amazing and wonderful bookstagram community um, that I've learned that they're just so passionate and so supportive of everybody who has books coming out and just supportive of each other. And it's been wonderful to see. And then I've also been able to connect with other authors through Instagram a lot. So um, I was glad that I figured out a way to have self-promotion work for me. Um, and I think that's important for any author or aspiring author that no one has, I don't think you have to do social media, but if you do do social media, do do social media, make sure you're comfortable with it and don't make it, don't force yourself or else I'll feel forced. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Sure. I actually wrote an essay about this recently for Literary Hub um, about my writing habits pre-pandemic then how they changed after the pandemic. So for this novel, I got so much of it done in coffee shops and I loved being around other people who were kind of working on their own projects It really helped me focus and be intense about my own work. At the same time, because this novel is so much about music and I love of music, I was only listening to albums while I was writing it. Not like playlists or like random, you know, you can have songs on random. I just was very specific about albums, both from when I was a teenager and from albums I had discovered recently. So I was very specific about that for some reason. Once we had to go inside, once we're all under quarantine, I really missed having people around me as I was working. So I discovered this uh, British reality series called Portrait Artist of the Year. And so it's a reality competition in which artists all try to depict the same celebrity sitter. And then they get judged on whoever's portrait is the best. And I found that fascinating because I can't paint or be, I can't do any sort of art, but to see like a, over the course of an hour, like a white canvas turn into this amazing portrait of a person and to see all the different, all the different portraits inspired by the same person was really great to me. I really kind of restoked my creativity. And so I, I would actually have a pop-up window where I'd pop, up the, pop out the video from YouTube and put it on my laptop as I was writing. So it was kind of a way of recreating that coffee shop environment. And so I found I could focus again if I could write while I could, other people were doing something creative. So that was interesting for me. And then for the second book, this new book I'm working on, I find that I have to watch, <laughs> I have a lot of TV on in the background, specifically TV series I've watched already. So I could just have it play in the background and don't have to pay attention to it. But again, it kind of recreates that. I guess I really do need sound because I kind of sometimes just need to have some chatter on in the background while I don't, don't necessarily have to pay attention to it, but it's just kind of there. And it's funny, one of the um, shows I rewatched was The Good Wife, and I ended up renaming one of my characters <laughs> after a character on that show. So sometimes <laughs> it can be helpful to watch TV <laughs> while you write mm-hmm. once in a while. I've never heard of that BBC show, but it sounds, honestly, it sounds relaxing. <laughs> it's so relaxing. I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime and on YouTube, um, if you can find it. Yeah, I um, always like to write with people around me, but I'm also like an extreme night owl. And so I'd be writing at like 1am and I can't, there's no coffee shops open. Well, there was in college, but not since then. And one thing I talked about this on the episode with Kathleen Kalb too, is I would put Law and Order on just to have like people talking in the room with me. (laughs) And, you know, Law and Order, even if I haven't seen the show before, I felt like I've seen the show before. So... (laughs) That's a great choice. That's a good idea. When you were in the lowest parts of your writing journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? 
So I read somewhere that the happiest moment you ever have in your publishing career is when you get your book deal. And I think that's true because that is such a pure happiness. And from that moment on, you're going to have so many ups and downs. It's such a roller coaster. And um, just because you have a book deal doesn't mean you won't get rejected again. I don't even have like very low moments, but there are definitely moments of self-doubt. The first novel I submitted under my option was rejected by my editor. And so I had to kind of dig deep because I realized that, you know, I have my foot in the door and I really want to continue writing and I really want to start working on another novel ASAP. So I was really determined to come up with another idea and I was happy I was able to do so and get another book deal. But I think just reminding myself that just because you have a book deal doesn't mean that you won't feel tested and you won't feel doubt. And you just have to kind of keep going and know that when you have downs, there will be ups and when you have ups, there'll be downs. But you kind of have to tap into that initial joy and passion that inspired you to write the novel in the first place and let that keep you going because that's what this is ultimately all about. Nice. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way that you might want to warn listeners about? I think looking back now, and maybe things are meant to be, but I can't believe I had an editor interested in my novel and she was a pretty major editor. She's still a major editor. She was interested and I kind of just kind of didn't pursue it. You know, I got a couple of rejections from agents and then I just didn't think the book was good enough. And maybe it was, and maybe it wasn't. Ultimately, I'm very happy with the book that I did debut with, but it did take me 20, 20 years to get here. So I would just say to make sure, I think if I had done more research about the querying process, and I knew more about what the publishing process looked like. I might've been more diligent about my work and not given up so easily, but it is what it is. The other thing that I think is important, especially for debut authors, is don't read your reviews. I know it will be tempting once your book is up on NetGalley and Goodreads to go see what audiences have to say about your book. Because this is the first like real feedback you're getting from people who aren't your agent and aren't your editor. But try to resist that because I think for most of us, we'll always remember the negative more than the positive. Like I can still remember the first negative thing said about my book and I'll never forget it, no matter what nice things are said. And you don't need to subject yourself to it. If anything, if you want, like have a trusted friend send you the positive reviews so you don't have to kind of like dig through the morass of trying to find positive stuff among Goodreads or NetGuy reviews because it just, it can really do a number on your ego and you're, you're just starting out. You don't need to do that to yourself. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? I think one of the lessons I learned interestingly after the fact is when you're writing, Focus on the writing. Don't get caught up in all of what it means to be a published author, all the querying, like researching agents, anything else. I think it's so important to focus on the draft and make sure it's as best as it can possibly be. Because I know for myself personally, if I, the amount of information that's available now, like if I had known about all these podcasts and different things, I think I would have gotten nervous and distracted and maybe queried my book too early because I would just want to be in the game. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to just make sure your book is as good as it can possibly be, kind of cut out all the noise and focus on why you wrote the book in the first place. And the other thing is you really want to make a good first impression. So you don't want to rush the querying process. Be meticulous about who you want to query, why you want to query them. Make sure you pay attention to their guidelines and pay attention to the books that they represent and that the books that they say they want to read. That's one of the great things right now. Agents make exactly what they're looking for, their wish list so public. It's really easy to see exactly what they're looking for, not just in terms of what they want to represent, but how you, they want you to query them. So, 
and they receive so many submissions and can be really hard to stand out. And I heard from my agent, if you just follow the instructions and do exactly what they ask you to do, you just have that much more of a, a good chance of being read than not. Oh, and lastly is uh, find your community. I didn't find a writing community. I mean, I'm 20 years out from my MFA <laughs> at this point, and I still have friends from my grad school days, but it wasn't we weren't like talking about writing it on a regular basis. So I didn't find my writing community until after I got my book deal. And I can't imagine going through the debut process without these people, these incredible people and friends who just kind of, you know, you, when you go through this, you need to be able to have people you can talk to who can relate to what you're going through because no one else quite knows what it's like to be a debut author. But I would say don't wait until you become, until you get your book deal. It's so important to find your community now and as soon as you can and find other writers that you can connect with because those are people you can be friends with, you know, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of community, <laughs> I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? It's so funny when I saw this question, I'm like this kind of feels like the Oscar speech and I feel like maybe I'll get played off. <laughs> so I'll try to make it somewhat succinct that, I mean, I have an incredible family and friends and husbands who supported me throughout the entire process, especially when I was just starting to write and not knowing what would become of this book. And, and when just like the people who actually read my manuscript before I submitted it for querying, that would be Carrie Fry, my good friend, Salja Suresh, my good friend, Mayuri Chandra, and my two critique partners, Ella Kay and Barbara Greenbaum. Um, Suzanne strampik was my grad school professor at Emerson, and we're still in touch today. And she was actually the person, she did not need to read my manuscript, but she did read my query letter. And I think it's really important, I actually meant to suggest this, have someone read your query letter who hasn't read your book, mm-hmm. because they can give you the best feedback on whether your query letter works. Because if you, you can have an audience of an agent, especially an editor, who have no idea what your book is about. So you want to make sure it's not confusing in any way. So anyway, Suzanne gave me really important feedback on my query letter. And she's just been, you know, I've known her for 20 years and she's just been an amazing person and supporter and friend. This does kind of feel like an Oscar speech. Okay, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually you write your acknowledgements, you write these things down. It kind of feels weird to like say it out loud, but I do appreciate the opportunity. My agent, Andrea Sombrick, I just, I kind of think of her as this compass who always points me in the right direction. Everybody at Grand Central Publishing, I really have had a very lucky and tremendous, tremendous experience with them. I'm so happy to be working with them. And there's some writers I connected with between the time I got my book deal and the time I was published, and they gave me really great advice. And they're Jennifer Armstrong, Erin Carlson, Kate Reculia, and Catherine Adele West. And then also everybody in my W group writers community who have been amazing and are amazing authors. And the best part about being a debut author is not just seeing your book on a bookshelf, but getting to know other authors and getting to know their work. And they're all really great people. And I almost feel weird singling them out. So I'll just say all of them. <laughs> they're all great. They're all <laughs> wonderful. And I'm so happy and lucky to know them. Nice. So you have another book coming out. Can you give us a little sneak peek into what that might look like? Sure. So I am currently working on my second novel with Grand Central Publishing. And I'm a pop culture person. My background is entertainment journalism. So this is another book that's steeped in pop culture. I think of it as a pop culture detective story. I like to say if you've ever gone down an internet rabbit hole, then you'll find a lot to relate into this novel. So I'm really enjoying writing it, and I hope readers will enjoy it. 
and I hope to have more news soon about it um, as well. Nice. Sounds fun. All right, Kirthana, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone today. Thank you so much for having me. I really actually love this podcast and hearing about everyone's writing journeys and I'm just happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Kirthana's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Spotify, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description, or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.